Diocese of Davenport, Vision 2020, Convocation, June 6th through the 8th, 2019, at St. Ambrose University, Davenport, Iowa. Breakout session, evangelizing in small parishes, one size does not fit all. Tyler Wheeler, June 6, 2019. Copyright 2019, Diocese of Davenport. All right, thank you. <clears throat> As was introduced, my name's Tyler. Um, this is my family, so I'm not 17. Um, <laughs> That's my wife, and we have five kids, ranging in age from about 11, or 11 down to a year and a half. Um, and we live on my wife's family farm south of Decorah. I work in Decorah. Let's see how this works. I work in Decorah, but uh, we live about 20 miles south on her family farm. And um, yeah, that's it. So that's in northeast Iowa. It's about three hours away. And um, that, that's about all there is with me. One thing I'll say up front before I forget is, Feel free to talk to me after this with any questions, comments you may have. I'm going to try to get through this, um, and, and I might get going a little bit and might not ask an, uh, leave enough time for questions, so please feel free to catch me afterwards. So as the title says, we're going to look at evangelizing in small parishes. And there's no silver bullet. This is a lot of hard work. Pope Paul VI says evangelization is a complex process made up of varied elements, so it's a complex process made up of varied elements. We can't mechanize it. We can't put input A, input B, and we're going to get C, right? Because we're dealing with people. And so there's no silver bullet. There's no one size that fits all. But I do, I do want to propose what I would call maybe a mode of operation or a method that I think can apply across, across context, and especially in small parishes. All right? So I want to start, though, with what I think is a provocative question, or at least when I heard it, I thought it was. So if you're a staff member, um, well, actually, let me, how many work part-time, full-time for the church? Okay. And just parishioners? Just parishioners, I apologize for that. <laughs> Mike, Mike is somewhere very mad at me. That's, that's actually, um, and then who lives in a, what they would call a rural parish? Okay. Okay, a lot of us. So if you only had three more years in your parish position, and you knew that they weren't going to fill the position again, what would you do between now and three years from now? Go to work. Go to work, yeah. Okay. If, and if you're not a staff, if you live in a neighborhood, and you want everybody in that neighborhood after three years to be deeply, madly in love with the Lord, but you know in three years you're going to leave, you're going to have to move that from that neighborhood, what would you do between now and those three years? And, and take a second and think about that. What would you do if you had three years to evangelize a neighborhood or a parish? So the goal of this breakout is that I hope you have, I'm not going to say the answer, but a more informed answer to that question, or at least some different ideas. I hope this is a thought experiment for you something that you can apply to your context. And so the overview is we're going to start with our goal. What are we aiming for? And then what are some principles that can guide us as we walk towards that goal? And then eventually we'll get to some putting some meat on the bones. I want to get real practical and then end with letting you apply that to your particular context. So what are we aiming for? Simply put, this will orient all we do, right? So our to-do list how we look about our day will be oriented by what we do or what we're aiming for. Pope Francis tells us we're looking for a parish full of missionary disciples. More so, we're looking for not just a parish full, we're looking for neighborhoods, we're looking for towns, we're looking for counties, we're looking for whole dioceses that are full of missionary disciples, right? Because the church is really... The parish is the church placed in the neighborhoods of humanity. So our first step then is, is our necessary first step is, is when we're talking about forming missionary disciples and going, we're talking about missionary disciples placed not just within the parish wall. We're thinking beyond the parish wall. We're thinking the grocery store and the library and the knitting club, the game of bridge we play on Saturday mornings. That's our aim, and I know you're fully aware of that, but that's our aim. That's what we're oriented towards. 
Mike told us to think boldly. We want a whole diocese full of missionary disciples. So St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that, he says, how do we all live in harmony? He says, we begin by knowing that we're all madly in love with the same God. So if we want to live in harmony, if we want a parish full of missionary disciples, how do, we, how do we all know we're madly in love with the same God we evangelize, right? And that's why we're here, and that's why Bishop Zinkula has called this. And you're going to hear a lot about evangelization, so I'm not going to get too much into it. I want to get into the practicalities of it. But I do want to uh, put a little nuance in it that I think is particular to a small parish context. So I've often heard that evangelization is as simple as introducing someone to your best friend. And I love that description, right, because it removes that mechanization of evangelization. It's that I know my best friend, Jesus, and all I have to do is introduce him to somebody else. But I think often, especially in a small parish setting where there was a Catholic culture, we're not introducing someone to our best friend. We're reintroducing someone to our best friend. We're reintroducing someone to Jesus because they've already put him in a box. They've already decided what it means to be Christian, what it means to follow our Lord. And so that is actually in some ways more difficult than the first time introduction. So that's our aim. That's where we're headed. We're looking for the reintroduction of our friend and what are some principles that can guide us. Oh, that's reintroduce a spouse. First principle is simply us. And you've probably heard this a thousand times, and, and I kind of hope you have. Because we always start with ourselves. And this is so foundational that I need to hear it every day, over and over. I need it to become annoyingly repetitive to myself, right? I need to hear over and over that we start with ourselves. Pope Francis tells us in Evangelii Gaudium that this conviction, and what, he, what he's talking about a conviction, he's saying that the infinite sadness we have can only be in, um, cured by an infinite love. So the conviction that only an infinite love can cure our infinite sadness has to be sustained by our own constantly renewed experience of savoring Christ's friendship and his message. And so the starting point, and actually the, really the focus of this entire presentation, or the foundation of it, isn't about what programs can we do. It's really not about what we can do at all. It's about who we are, first and foremost. So it's not about what should I do, it's about who am I? Who am I becoming? In terms of an analogy, think about fire and heat. So when you have a fire, the natural manifestation, the natural radiation of a fire is heat. A fire that doesn't give off heat isn't a fire. And it's the same for our life of discipleship. In this analogy, then, our discipleship is that fire. And when we are disciples, when we love the Lord, when we are daily connected to him, we will naturally give off the heat of evangelization. But first, when we focus on the heat, we get into mechanizing it. We first have to start with that fire. We have to grow it into a bonfire within ourselves. So we are evangelizers, but only in as much as Christ lives in us. Pope Benedict puts it this way. He says, it is important always to know that the first word, the true initiative, the true activity comes from God. And only by inserting ourselves into the divine initiative, only by begging for this divine initiative, shall we too be able to become with him and in him evangelizers. So until we take on the heart and the eyes of Christ, until we participate in his heart and his eyes for the world, Nothing else matters. And to kind of put this into a, uh, to think about it, or to flesh it out, imagine the early apostles not madly in love with the Lord, first and foremost, or St. Benedict, or any of the major movements, St. Ignatius, St. Dominic, St. Francis. So again, that first question is not what shall I do, but who should I be? What shall I become? And I have a, a quick story to illustrate this. My wife and I were going to give a witness talk at this event in our parish, and so we're giving this talk together. And if you've ever given a talk, you always know it's harder to give it with somebody, right? 
And so it's just not coming together the way that I wanted it to, and I'm frustrated, and I'm working through it, and I can't figure it out. The day of the event comes. I'm before the tabernacle praying right before the event, and I'm still restless. But this hasn't happened a ton to me, but it felt like a thought, a thought, as if it came from outside of my head. So the Lord's voice comes, and he says, you cannot glorify me, only I can. And all of a sudden, peace came over me. And here I was trying to manipulate these words and come up with cute turns of phrases and trying to craft the best speech I could. And I had forgot to bring it to the Lord and to allow him to flow through me, allow him to glorify himself through me. So how does he glorify himself? Through us, of course. But only in as much as we are connected to him. And we do this in parishes. So Mike put up that um, slide with all those different books out there. So we get concerned with divine renovation and um, rebuilt and all these great things, amazing parish. And these are really good things. Don't hear what I'm not saying. These are, these are really good things. But first and foremost, it starts with our own fire, our own fire. So what does this all mean? It means we can't disqualify ourselves. That's what Mike was talking about with his just. If we disqualify ourselves, then we really are not, we're disqualifying what the Lord can do. You are enough. We are all enough. God has made you, and he wants to work through you, and he can work through you. You are the instrument that he has created to reach this time and this place. So the former days are gone and the new has not come, but we are placed right here and right now. He has looked at the whole span of time and he has placed you within your particular context because you are enough to reach the people around you. But again, only in as much as we draw near to Christ. Here's how Pope Francis puts it. He says, my mission of being in the heart of the people is not just a part of my life or a badge I can take off. It is not an extra or just another moment in life. It instead, it is something I cannot uproot from my being without destroying my very self. In the book of Acts, when the early apostles have to go before the Sanhedrin and they've been proclaiming Christ and they're told to stop proclaiming that, they say, for we cannot keep but from speaking about what we have seen and heard. And why? Because it was who they were. They had been... In transformed by the Lord in such a way that they could not help. It's like a fire trying to stop radiating its heat. They could not stop radiating the heat of Christ, if you will. So discipleship and evangelization are one in the same reality. They're conceptually different. We would we, we draw conceptual distinctions, but in reality, they're one in the same thing. Don't tell Pope Francis this, but I don't understand the term missionary disciple because I feel like disciples should include necessarily missionary. But I understand. Don't, uh, don't, don't let that be what you take away from this talk. Because <laughs> I very well am wrong, I'm sure. Here's a caveat, though. No matter where we're at in our faith life, we will radiate heat. Just as a match, when we, when we light a match, it, it radiates heat. So no matter where we are in our faith life, we will radiate heat. We will evangelize in some way, shape, or form. All right. Do we want to fan those flames into a bonfire? For sure. But no matter where we're at, the Lord can work through us. And the other caveat is that it's not all on us. So the image I've had lately is that it takes, like, if, if people have walls in their heart, it takes a thousand hammers to knock down a wall. We might just be one of those hammers. So to wrap up, you can insert your name in this quote. Not that one. This one. So wherever you see church, you can insert your name. As, as Mike told us, be the church. This is from Evangeli Nunziandi. The church is an evangelizer, but she begins by being evangelized herself. She needs to listen unceasingly to what she must believe, to her reasons for hoping, to the new commandment of love. In brief, this means that she has a constant need of being evangelized if she wishes to retain freshness, vigor, and strength in order to proclaim the gospel. The church is evangelized by constant conversion and renewal in order to evangelize the world with credibility. That's all a lovely thought. 
but I'm, I, uh, I struggle to bridge the gap between theory and theology into practicality. So I want to just do a quick exercise with you. Who is someone in your life that you look up to in the faith? Someone that you say they radiate the heat of Christ. They evangelize not so much by, they evangelize by their being, by who they are. Evangelization is an ontological reality. So they, they evangelize by their being. Who is that person, and how did they cultivate that? What practices do they do? Is it a devotion to daily mass? Adoration? Scripture? Take a second and think about that. If you could think of something, now what would that look like in your life? What is that thing they do? And how can you take the next little step in that same practice? All right, so that, that's principle number one. We're aiming towards missionary disciples everywhere. We start with ourselves, really more so we start with Christ. What do we do? What's the second principle? We form a core. <clears throat> so if we, if, if we are ambassadors of Christ, if Christ is our model in all things, we can look to him in, in how to evangelize. Does he meet the first principle? Obviously. He's connected to Christ. How about the, the second one? Right? So what does he do? Jesus has three years, again, this goes back to that question, he has three years to reach the ends of the earth. He doesn't have DVDs, he doesn't have concerts, he doesn't have greeters or a coffee bar. He has three years to reach the ends of the earth, and what does he do? He spends an inefficient amount of time with 12 people. He preaches to the masses, but he spends a large majority of his time with 12 people. So then the proposal is, is that we as his ambassadors, if we are to reach the ends of the earth or reach the ends of the Davenport Diocese, we must, we must do the same thing. We have to focus on our, quote, 12. For the sake of the many, for the sake of the masses, I'm proposing we have to forget the masses. Not because we don't love them, but precisely because we love them, we need to focus on a small core that can be sent out to them. So, if, if we were to put, uh, Edward Street talks about the same ten that come to everything. The same ten that come to everything. And we often lament that in the parish life. It's the same people. But instead of lamenting it, let's rejoice that they're there. And then, as Mike said, how do we send them out? How do we turn them from volunteers into missionary disciples? A volunteer fulfills the mission of somebody else. But as laity, we're not volunteers. We have a mission in our life. Our mission is to reach the ends of the earth. How do we help people to go from being a volunteer, exercising the mission of somebody else, into living their personal apostolate? So instead of focusing on fallen away Joe and how we get him to come to the parish, which in small parishes can be really difficult to do because we can't do for lack of a better word, sexy things. We can't do the big things. Instead of focusing on how can I get people to come to me, how can I send people out? So I can't get Fallen Away Joe to come, but maybe I can form his neighbor who's one of those same ten, and he will brush shoulders with Joe. In my work, this quote is something um, that kind of guides what I, I refer... Oh, golly. I'm going to spill water. Um, this quote is something that comes back to me a lot. It's from Sherry Waddell. She says that in her research over the parishes, they have seen it time and time again that the presence of a significant number of disciples changes everything. If we can form a hot core, a bonfire, and have those sparks flying out within our parishes, that can change everything.
Jesus in Matthew says, when he, saw, or when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the field, into his harvest field. So we know very well that the harvest is, is abundant and that the workers are few. But then what we do in our goodness, I think, or what I have done in the past, is then I feel like I, I, I focus on how do I need to go and be a laborer in the field. And I need to do that. But let's turn our parishes into schools of labor makers. We need to send out as many laborers as we can. So the school or the parish becomes then a place of apostolic formation. A place where people are fed and nourished and shepherded and guided, yes, but first and foremost, sent. They're sent out to be laborers into the harvest. So let's flesh this out a little bit for you personally. All right, we're going to look at your 12. Who are your 12? And, and notice I have 12 in quotes there. And I want some thoughts to kind of guide us as we do this. It could be two or three people. They could be friends. They could be part of that same tin. They could already be doing things at the parish. They could be a neighbor. But who are your 12? Here's a way to think about it. Who do you look at and you say, that person can stretch me. They can help me take the next little step in my faith. And I can do the same for them. And these people are often hungry and receptive. They're hungry to grow in their faith. They want more. And they're receptive. They're open to being stretched. They're open to being taught. Now, where are they? Again, I've already kind of touched on this, but they could be people that the Lord has already placed in your life. They probably are. All right? If you're a DFF, who are catechists or parents that you know? Who is someone you're already doing a Bible study with? Moms, who do you brush shoulders with? And dads, who do you brush shoulders with? Grandparents, same. Who is someone that can push you and hold you accountable and be supportive and encourage you? think before we actually, I actually want to take time and, and focus on this. I want to ask, is there any questions? Okay. So let's take three minutes here. And we're going to write down your 12. Put them on your phone, put them on your notepad, think about them. But what you're doing is, is again, it's not 12 necessarily. And don't vet this list too much. Really do this in a prayerful spirit. Ask the Lord to just, names are going to pop in your mind, write them down. Later on, you'll pray over them and you'll vet this list. Or you might not, I don't know. But right now, we're just getting names out. Who pops in your mind? Who comes to you? Who is someone that can stretch you and that you can stretch back? And think about it this way. You're shoulder to shoulder with this person oriented towards God. Who can make that journey with you? All right, so let's take three minutes and do that. All right, I hate to interrupt that. Know that this was just a beginning. I'll spend months doing that before I invite someone or ask someone, and then they reject me, and I go back to the drawing board. But this is just the beginning. All right, so we have this core. What do we do with them? I want to tell a story that kind of illustrates some, like, what we're trying to create here. When I was a college, I was, in, I was a sophomore, I'm about to fail out of Iowa State University, and I'm just in a bad place. And I was looking for something. And I had a Baptist friend who was, he had everything I wanted. He was full of peace and meaning and purpose in his life. You know, if, we, if you've heard that expression, a God-shaped hole, I knew mine was empty and I knew his was full. I, I couldn't put that into words. But I followed him up to school. I transferred up to his school, and it was a non-denominational um, essentially Baptist school. And there I was introduced into a way of life that I didn't know existed. I saw them get up and pray with Scripture in the morning. I saw them, when they had girls over, hold each other accountable and keep their doors open. I saw them not drink all Friday and Saturday night. I saw how they discussed things and called each other, held each other accountable, but also supported and encouraged each other. I didn't know that existed. 
it was, in a very real sense, a school of discipleship. I honestly have no idea what I studied that semester. But I remember very, very strongly what they were training me in. They didn't know it, but what they were schooling me in. So we have this core, and that's what we're trying to do. Sherry Waddell also says in her book that we don't know what normal is. And what she means by that is we don't know what a normal life of discipleship looks like. I grew up Catholic. I had no idea. I didn't know what prayer was. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I thought saying the rosary before Mass was as important as the Eucharist. I just didn't know anything. So we have to create schools of discipleship evangelization, places where we reveal what it means to be normal in a supportive, in um, in an encouraging way. This is what Jesus did for his 12, and I propose it's what will be the renewal of our parishes, our small towns. And the privileged way to do this, the privileged arena, if you will, is through small groups, that buzzword, small groups and one-on-ones. We'll get into this later. But just real quickly, all this is is intentional relationships. You're just getting together with people who are also seeking after the Lord in some way. It might be over a coffee with one other person. It might be at someone's house with Scripture and, and, and five other people. This is, if you will, a way of apprenticeship. It's an apprenticeship of the entire Christian life. Pope Francis tells us that missionary disciples accompany a missionary, missionary disciples accompany missionary disciples. Maybe that's why I don't like it. I can't say that word. <laughs> so yes, our context is different. We are a small parish setting. We can't have coffee bars. We can't have the big name speakers come in. We can't run the superb programs. But this speaks nothing of that. Christ didn't do those things. The early church didn't have those things. This speaks about the exact same thing that we've always had, the three necessities, of, if if you will, which is the good news of Christ, the Holy Spirit, and people. We have the same three things that the church has always had. Again, those other things aren't bad. But within our small communities... There's, there's a lot there not to lament, but to rejoice in. So, so much of those things, what they're trying to do is create community artificially. I've worked in a decently large parish, too, and we did a lot of things trying to create community. In a small parish, we don't have to create community. All we have to do is elevate it. We have to divinize it. We have to raise it up to the Lord, orient it towards the Lord. So, remember and trust that a significant number of disciples changes everything. And if we form these people in a particular way, if we turn in with them so that they go out to the world, the parish will start reaching nooks and crannies of your diocese, of your parish, in places that we didn't even know existed. We'll start reaching family tables and offices in soccer fields that the parish hasn't reached before because we're doing it through people who naturally operate in those spheres. St. Paul tells us in Romans, but how are they to call on on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? How are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? So let's start sending people. Instead of worrying about how we can get people to come to us, how can we send people out to them? I haven't gotten into practical spirituality much, but what this will call us to when we do this, and I'm going to move through this pretty quickly, what this will call us to is kind of some print, not, I don't know, Uh, some practical spirituality is, is that we have to trust that God has something to offer. I've already touched on, we have to be comfortable with the idea of apprenticeship. And that's going to require intentionality. That word came up in our keynote. 
intentionality. The apprenticer is always intentional with helping the apprenticee take the next little step. In, in my ministerial work in the past, I've thrown this program out and I've done this and I've done that, but there's no intentionality with it. We're going to turn in, but we're going to do that turning in in order to go out. Community exists for mission. Community exists for mission. So community is good in and of itself because it's a participation, right, in Trinitarian life. But community is good not just for the people, but it's good for the people in those people's lives. So whenever we form community, those people should leave that community just as we leave the mass in order to set the world on fire. Pope John Paul II and Christopher Dallas Leche, I probably butchered that, says, communion and mission are profoundly connected with each other. They interpenetrate and mutually imply each other to the point that communion represents both the source and the fruit of mission. Communion gives rise to mission, and mission is accomplished in communion. That means we're going to be inefficient. Again, God became man, and he took three years. And then they left him when the times got hard. I mean, they came back, right? But he took three years. Pope Francis says, what we need then is to give priority to actions which generate new processes in society and engage other persons and groups who can develop them. Without anxiety, but with clear convictions and tenacity, this also applies to evangelization, which calls for attention to the bigger picture, openness to suitable processes, and concern for the long run, which means we're not concerned with appearance. Again, if, as a parish staff, I have job security. I've got five kids to feed. If I put on a program and 50 people, 100 people come, and we have great refreshments, I'm doing my job. If I'm in my office 8 to 5, and whenever someone pops in, I'm there, I'm doing my job, and the parish is getting their money worth. That's, that's the appearance, right? What I do now is meet with people in coffee shops. I'm not in my office. I'm getting beers at 7 p.m. That's not that bad. <laughs> but there's a risk here. There's a risk of how this will be viewed. So we can't be concerned with appearance. And we have to be willing to be inefficient. Because we're forming deep, lasting disciples. And when we do that, we're going to have to get messy and involved. I'm sure other speakers will touch on this more. But when we get past the facades of other people, when we enter into their life, it's going to be messy. And it's going to require sacrificial love. Again, at a program, programs have a place. Don't, don't leave that thinking again that program's a, a bad word. But I don't think it's our first step. But at a program, people come up, I smile, they smile, we say hi, how's the kids, things are good. We leave and, and things, things are nice. They've had some kind of maybe inspiration of the heart or some thoughts to fuel their fire. But it doesn't get messy. It doesn't require a whole lot of me. But when I get in a small group with them week after week and they're telling me about their sister who's going through a divorce, about how they don't know how to parent their kids or that their wife is an alcoholic, that's messy, and that's real, and that's where real change happens, and that's where the love of Christ can truly be encountered. We'll come to this example later, actually. The last thing is, is that that's uncomfortable for us and for others. We're stepping out into the deep on this. All right. Some methods to do this. Again, so we have our core. What does this look like, right? So we've inculcated the vision, if you will, and, and I, I need to hear this literally a thousand times, over and over. I need to hear this over and over. And then you've prayed about your core, which you've started. You invite them, expect rejection. And then you're going to meet in an intentional way, form them deeply, and create missionary disciples. All right. 
This is kind of a big picture view of how this can create a ripple effect in your parish. So now we're starting to get a little bit more practical. This is a, um, uh, how can this be replicated? How can we not just form a core of two or three, but how can this make changes within your parish? The ripple effect. This is what I do, um, and this comes from an organization called the Evangelical Catholic. It actually comes from Jesus, but this, this is their word for it, the Jesus method or the Jesus mission model. And um, the basic premise is really that you form a core and then you send them out as Christ did. You spend a significant amount of time with them, and then you, you form them both in the hearts and habits of a disciple, but also how to lead other groups, and then you send them out to replicate what you have just done. Okay, so if I have a group of six people, and I send them out, and let's say four small groups get started, all of a sudden, we've gone from one small group to four. And then who knows what will come from those small groups. That's the Jesus, I, I, as a parish staff person, that's what I would most highly recommend. This is one I did in um, a small parish. I worked in a cluster of six parishes, which is actually where I live now, in the largest towns, about 350 people, very rural, agrarian um, communities. And I call it the Pauline method because what I did was I formed a group, you know, so St. Paul would form a community or establish a community, and then he would move on, right? He would form and train leaders, leave them there, and then he would move on and do the same thing in another parish. So what I did was is I formed a small group, and I got with these guys, and there was like nine or ten of them, and they were great, but they weren't ready to take that next step to leading their own group. So I thought, what am I going to do? So I thought, oh, I'll form. They would be comfortable leading their, that group that they already know. So I formed a couple leaders from within the group to continue on the group, and then I pulled myself out. You know, I said, guys, I know that you know this is good, and I know that you want it to reach other people. I'm going to need to leave the group in order for that to happen. So that's, I would call that the Pauline method. The last one is, I, I don't have a cute little saying, the community method, I don't know. If you guys come up with something, let me know. But essentially, it's just where a group stays together but they do so with mission. They do so not for themselves, but for the world around them. They do it so that they may radiate the love of Christ more in their life. Now these are all, so first off, what is success? Success is not everybody leading their own small group. If, if we get into that, small groups become another program. Success is everybody in, in these groups creating environments where people can take that next little step in their faith. Okay? And all of these methods are going to kind of vary in their multiplication effect, if you will, their ripple effect. But the key point is that you start something and trust that it will have a ripple effect. So if I do the 5A, if I do the Jesus method, and those guys all go out and they actually start their own small groups, and then they all do, but they all turn into community groups, the, the 5C groups. That's okay, because I trust that within that group, those flames are being fanned. And that that is impacting their work life and their family life. Any questions? That's kind of a big picture. We're going to try to get real practical here, and I want to give you time for application. I'm running short here. Any questions? Does that, make, does that give somewhat of a vision, or is that very foggy? It's too late, so you might as well just go yes. <laughs> We're not going back. All right. I had a question. When you put these uh, <clears throat> ideas and methods together, how big a parish are you looking There's all different sizes of parishes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say you can do this anywhere. So I was at St. Thomas Aquinas in Ames, and this is what we did. I was in uh, one pastor, six parishes. This is what we did. Um, I've heard skepticism that this won't work in rural parishes with farmers. Um, I don't buy it. People are people at their fundamental level everywhere. It might look different. I'm not saying it's going to be the same. Each group is going to be different. That's why I, I switched to that 5B, that Pauline method, because the idea of them leading their own faith was too much for them at that point. 
or leading their own um, small group was too much for them at that point. I know someone very close to me who went to a parish mission and the moment that the parish speaker or the mission speaker told them to turn to the person next to them and um, share something, he got up and left. Regardless, whatever the parish does, he's not going to come to. I mean, he came to the mission. I don't think he's praying daily because of that mission. But his friend at the co-op might have the best chance to reach him. The friend that he's known for 20 years in trust has the best chance to reach him. Does that answer your question? I think it applies across the board. I really do. All right, let's, I apologize. We're going to go through this quickly. So we're getting real practical now because small groups can carry a lot of different uh, meanings to them. So the first question everyone always wants to know is what do we use for content? And going back to that first principle that it's more about who we are instead of what we do, I would say it doesn't really matter. But I have a huge caveat. It doesn't really matter as long as you incorporate praying with scripture in some way. You can use a resource, you can use a book, you can watch Bishop Barron. Please include at some point in time in that small group praying with scripture because the word is living and active. So if these are training grounds and we want people to take from this group into their homes and, 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 and live in a different way, I want to show them what it's like to pray with scripture. I want them to know what Lexio Divina is. They have to experience that first and foremost. And then... We trust that if we want them to encounter the Lord, the best way they can do that outside of the sacraments, of course, is the scripture. That's a good quote, I promise you, but we don't have enough time. <laughs> I think you have access to these slides. Um, these are some materials. All of these are roughly the same thing. A passage of scripture, some questions. The only nuance I would give to it is, is um, whenever I tell small group leaders is, is that the questions in the books are good and use them, but they don't know your groups. They don't know your group members. They don't know that Jim is struggling with pride or pornography or that this issue keeps coming up. So spend time praying with that scripture yourself and formulating questions that apply to the lives of your people. I got a picture being taken. I'll, I'll get into how to pitch. And again, I'm going to move through this stuff pretty quick. But how do you pitch this to someone? Because again, this is kind of different, right? This isn't a Bible study. I hope that's clear by now. This isn't just head knowledge. This is formation. This is, this is praying with Scripture. But again, we're not reaching the masses. We're reaching the people who are already with us. The same ten, if you will. People who have some openness to this. You pitch it as an opportunity, not as an ask. Again, get away from the volunteer mindset. We're pitching it as an opportunity for them to grow closer to the Lord, to live a fulfilled life, to uh, set a fire their apostolate, if you will. So if they say no to it, they're not actually saying no to this. My wife does, has told me no. You know why she said no? Because she's raising five kids. So she's not saying no to the Lord. She's not choosing spiritual mediocrity. She's saying yes to the Lord in a different way. So it's not an ask, but an opportunity for them to discern. And they'll do that with others who are just like them. Again, the goals are simply to fan that flame and radiate that heat out in the world. To examine how to radiate that heat out in the world. Always tell them why you thought of them too. Say that you saw something in them, because obviously you do. It could be as simple, the Lord placed you on my mind and you won't go away. Some other details, frequency. I would say regularly. So don't do every other week or once a month because if people miss, it really creates, it's, it's hard to create stability within the group. But I would do it for set chunks of time, so six weeks at a time. So we might do six weeks on, two weeks off, or um, two months off, or a month off, or whatever. We do have some groups that um, they continue never-ending. But, okay, as a parish staff, that's not mine. That's theirs. They get, it's their group. It's their apostolate. I form them, and then they go out, and they lead their group. 
but in your own apostolate, you can decide what to do. But I've seen just best practices. You do about six weeks on and then take some time off so that you don't burn out and so that other people in your group don't burn out. Again, we've already gone over the goal. One-on-ones, this is even weirder, right? This is... This was not my uh, motive. This was not within my framework as a, as a Catholic growing up or even when I started in ministry. But really remove all the baggage of it and don't overthink it. All you're doing is accompanying someone else in order to help them to take the next little step. So that next little step means that we meet them where they're at but we're oriented towards God. So this quote from Pope Francis here, he says to accompany them if they're flitting around themselves, if they're drifters, would be counterproductive if it became a sort of therapy supporting their self-absorption and cease to be a pilgrimage with Christ to the Father. That's, that is strong language. The only reason I put that up there is, is because this is an intentional relationship. You're calling each other out a little bit. Not calling each other out. Um, you're calling each other out onto the water, right? Out of the boat. Where are they going to come from? You know, as a staff person, I just make it a component of the group so they know that they're going to take part in the group and that they need to meet with me to process it one-on-one. -on -one. And it's really beneficial. They, they actually end up loving it. Originally, they're pretty hesitant, but they like it because we can meet their individual needs. As a parish leader, you know, as a, as a parishioner, just look for openings that naturally occur in the group. So you're in the group. Someone shows great hunger. Say, hey, I noticed you love the Eucharist. You want to get together and talk about it. Maybe they have a question. I noticed you're really struggling with um, Jesus' humanity. I kind of have some same questions too. You want to grab a coffee and talk about it. That's all a one-on-one -on -one is. It might just be, oftentimes for me, hey, I just want to get to know you better. And that's it. That's it. Again, don't overthink it. Which is, love them, be curious about them, and share. Be vulnerable. Not like over the top right away. I'm not going to get into like uh, how to go about relationships, but Explore the mystery of the person that the Lord has placed in front of you. If, if your staff, you, I think you can bring content. You can have scripture. You can have a passage from Evangelium, and you can get into it right away. Again, these are both places where we can reveal what normal is. How many times have you guys heard where people say, why didn't someone ever tell us that before? These are places where people can be told. Not from a speaker like myself projecting at you, but from a place like my experience at the college where I could ask questions. I could ask questions, take in what they had said or showed, experience it, struggle, wrestle with it, and then come back again. That's apprenticeship. You learn, you try, you struggle, you come back again, and you learn again. All right, this is a document. <laughs> if you have access to it, I think you do. I was told you would have access to these slides. Just click on this. This is essentially what I do in my staff, or as a staff person. This is what it looks like if you hire a full-time staff member. Um, it, it shows how I, I, I form people and I support and guide them. It's the different tools I will, or the arenas I create, okay? But I want to have time, that's the end of the slideshow. I want to have time where you can apply this to yourselves. Okay, so no matter what level this is happening on, on the parish or as a parishioner in your home, uh, no matter what method you're going to use, JP2 kept, captures this for us. He says, in the present circumstances, the lay faithful have the ability to do very much and therefore ought to do very much towards the growth of an authentic ecclesial communion in their parishes. Okay. He says, oftentimes the social context, especially in certain countries and environments, is violently shaken by elements of disintegration and dehumanization. The individual is lost and disoriented, but there always remains in the human heart the desire to experience and cultivate the caring and, pers cultivate caring and personal relationships. So there always remains in the human heart, even the hardened farmer who doesn't want to talk about faith the desire to experience and cultivate caring and personal relationships. 
He goes on to speak about this. In reality, a cultural effect can be accomplished through work done not so much by an individual alone, but by an individual as a social being, that is, as a member of a group, of a community, of an association, or of a movement. Such work, then, is the source and stimulus leading to the transformation of surroundings and society. Here's the image. Create a hot core. From that hot core, they will bring the heat and the light of Christ to the dark nook and cranny that they occupy. And that's how we will reach the existential peripheries that Pope Francis talks about. I want to get into a takeaway, a game plan here. First question for you, personal reflection, and I hope we have time to share this. What prevents you from spending time with your 12? This could be interior. Actually, I think interior obstacles are bigger than exterior obstacles, or at least they are for me. It's fear. What prevents you from spending time with your 12? Do you need a mentor? The answer is yes. <laughs> we all, it might not be a mentor, but do you need someone who can journey with you in this way? We can't go at it alone. We just can't. It could be someone that's a part of your 12. And what can be applied? And I want you to actually to, to turn to your neighbor, to turn to maybe you have people from your parish, wherever you want. If you're the guy who gets up and walks out of the room, I apologize. Um, but just turn to someone that you know. And what are your thoughts as you try to apply this mentally to your particular context? What are your questions? What are your struggles? What are your obstacles? Take a second first, one minute to think about that, and then we'll spend the last three minutes or so just sharing with somebody else. If you'd like, you can continue to think about that quietly on your own, but if you'd like to share and ask with people around you, feel free to do so. Thank you.